at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. If, again, if you're using the seat Bibles, that's page 1201. 1 Peter 2, chapters, or, uh, verses 4 to 10. As I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, I was thinking about the different doctrines and, and ideas that Martin Luther is well known for, um, which have given shape and influence to churches like ours and, and actually to Western culture as well and to the world. Doctrines like justification by faith and uh, the authority of Scripture alone to determine what we believe. Um, and then I thought of the one which I thought, yeah, that's the one that, that I want to talk about this morning because our church values it highly, the priesthood of all believers. The, the priesthood of all believers is the conviction that Luther had that it wasn't just priests who are priests or monks who have a special calling, a special status with God. No, everyone who, who really believes in Jesus Christ and lives to follow Jesus is equally a priest, equally on the same level before God. Luther got this doctrine, among other places, from the verses that we read this morning, especially verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There it is. is. Peter's talking to all believers in Jesus here when he says, you are a holy priesthood. Not just the priests, not just the monks, not just the pastors or the elders. No, all of you. Will you turn to someone sitting next to them and, and, and say to them, if you follow Jesus, you are a priest. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So fine, that's all well and good, but so what? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll bet most of us didn't grow up wanting to be a priest. Maybe a baseball player, maybe a doctor, a ballerina, an astronaut, a movie star, but probably not a priest. So what is a priest, and why is being a priest so great? What does a priest do? In today's passage, we'll find out why it's so great to be a priest. We'll find out that being a priest gives us a higher calling and purpose, awesome job security, and incredible access. So first, a higher calling and purpose. Peter begins by, by taking us to a building site in verses 4 and 5. A, a bunch of stonemasons are at, at work here, and they're building an incredible temple. God's the main stonemason, but there are other builders too. There are human builders because we all try to help God out, right? If I were God, I would do it this way. <laughs> if I was running the world, I wouldn't let that happen. Why does God allow this? Why doesn't God do that? We all want to help God out. And we're all, as human beings, trying to build this building, which is life on this planet, society, culture, the economy, the human experience, and human destiny. And these other builders, the, the human ones, are, are choosing, they're, they're selecting um, stones for this building, metaphorically speaking. They're, they're making choices as, um, as they're, they're trying to build their lives. They're trying to build a, a country, a culture, a society, and they take a look at Jesus and they say, no, not that stone. 
We don't need Jesus in what we're building. His way is not suitable. It's too narrow, too exclusive, it's too moralistic, it's too much faith, it's not realistic enough. It, it requires too much loving people and being compassionate beyond what they deserve and, and not enough about the bottom line and the power to get stuff done. I mean, let's be realistic here. No, we don't need Jesus' way. Let's cast that stone aside and build our society apart from him, apart from his input, right? You know, it's popular to say today that um, people like Jesus, but they don't like the church, right? They like Jesus, but not the church. And there's some truth to that, unfortunately. We have to own that as churches. But do they really like Jesus? I mean, more than liking him on Facebook kind of liking. <laughs> I don't see them lining up to follow him, to, to live out his teachings. As verse 8 puts it, bottom line, they disobey the message. They disobey Jesus' teachings, the message about Jesus and what he's calling the world to. Jesus has been rejected by the builders as not very useful, not valuable enough, not practical enough to take really seriously. And so this affects us as followers of Jesus who are trying not to be like that, although we have our moments. But we too get cast aside. We get overlooked. We get rejected. Except for one thing, and that is that God himself steps in at the building site and says, hold on, hold on. I disagree with the other builders. Jesus is actually perfect for what I'm building. Can't you see the value? Jesus is incredibly valuable. Can't you see how useful? Jesus is perfect for what I'm building. I choose him. He is precious to me. Rejected by humans, but to God, chosen and precious. Verse 7, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God has made Jesus the most important stone, the stone the whole building is measured off of and oriented in relation to, the cornerstone. God chose Jesus to be the founding stone, the most important stone for the spiritual house that God is building. Now, what is this house? What's God building here? Well, it's, it's the house God is building to live in himself. Through the Holy Spirit. But before you say, oh yeah, that's the church, realize that God's house, God's presence, the place God dwells is a theme which weaves its way all through the Bible from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created the world and called it good and planted within it a garden where God would dwell among his creation. In the beginning, the whole creation was to be God's temple, especially this garden. But of course, we messed that up. We rebelled against God. We got kicked out of the garden, out of God's presence. But God, in his grace, wanted to restore this, to be present with us again. And so in the Old Testament, we hear the story of God doing this, and God has his people build tabernacles and temples where God would be present among them, where God's presence would be restored. And then in the New Testament, Jesus extended this to the church, not to the building anymore, but to the community of people, living stones, as Peter puts it, the community of those who follow Jesus, who experience God's spirit dwelling among us. We have become the temple. But don't miss that ultimately it's about more than us. 
Eventually, God's house is destined to be the whole human project, the whole world, a renewed creation. Read the last two chapters of of Revelation. Before God's building is all said and done, the whole new creation will be God's house and God will be there among the people that God has saved. That's the house. That's the grand temple that God is building. God's people, yes, but God's kingdom also. In fact, God's future for this whole world. And guess what? Peter says it's all being built. The future of humanity is first and foremost being built on Jesus Christ. The living stone who was rejected by the builders but was chosen and precious to God. God chose Jesus to be the cornerstone for it all. Perfectly suited to give shape, to give orientation, to give foundation and support to everything. Why? Why did God choose Jesus to be the pattern for everything? Well, read Philippians 2. He who was in very nature God did not consider it equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, he became obedient to the cross. And I'm, my, my, my memory is uh, failing me at this point, but he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God raised him up and seated him above all, right? That's, that's the verse I'm talking about. God chose Jesus to be the cornerstone because Jesus loved perfectly. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for the sake of others. Jesus understood that this is what it means to honor God, to obey God, to worship God, to be a priest. It's to lay down your life in love and service for others. The world rejected him and said, no way, that's stupid. That'll never work. That'll never get us ahead, laying down your life stuff. Come on, I've got to think about number one. I've got to think about me. But God said, no, the way of the cross The way of service, the way of love, that's perfect. I can build on that. I can build a place for me to dwell among my people, in my creation forever, based on love, based on the cross, based on Jesus Christ. I can build a kingdom. I can build a future for the world on that cornerstone, on Jesus Christ. That's why, as we'll see, to be associated with this building and this house is, is a grand purpose. To be a priest, as we'll see, is a high calling. Lynn Jotz tells the story of Frederick William III, who was king of Prussia in the early 1800s. And during his reign, he found himself in trouble. Wars were, were draining the royal coffers. There wasn't much left. He was trying earnestly to build a nation, but that's hard to do when you don't have any funds, even for a king. <laughs> Still need money. And, and King William didn't want to disappoint his people, and he certainly didn't want to surrender to his enemies. So after careful reflection, he decided to ask the women of Prussia to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to be melted down for their country. And for each ornament that, that he received, he determined to exchange a decoration of iron as a symbol of his gratitude for their sacrifice. Each Decoration would be inscribed, I gave gold for iron, 1813. 
And the response was overwhelming. And in fact, these women prized their gifts from their king more highly than their former jewelry. The reason, of course, is, is because the decoration was proof that they had sacrificed for their king and for their country. And so it became unfashionable at that time to wear jewelry, and, and thus was established the Order of the Iron Cross. Members wore no ornaments except a cross of iron for all to see. When we serve in a temple built on a crucified king, that's the kind of higher calling and that kind of higher purpose that we have as priests. And notice that, that what we give ourselves to, what we sacrifice for, is, is bigger than our individual relationship with God. It is that, but, but don't miss that what God is building isn't just individual souls who are being saved so they can have their private Christian lives. No, God is building a people, a community, a kingdom, a spiritual house, as Peter puts it, of interconnected living stones. We're being built together, Peter says, into something bigger than ourselves, and God is doing the building. God is the one choosing us and inviting us into something bigger than ourselves. And it's always been this way. In the Old Testament, it was the Israelites, not just individual Israelites running around here or there with their personal relationships with God. No, they were a people. They were a nation. They were a kingdom living a different kind of life in the midst of the world, having a different kind of purpose to show the world and to bless the world. And the striking thing about 1 Peter is this. It's not being written to Israelites. It's not being written to Jews Rather, it's addressing Gentiles, pagans, religious outsiders. And here Peter is talking to them, though, in the language that God uses for the Israelites. Verses 9 and 10, they're straight out of Exodus 19 and Isaiah 43. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And then right out of Hosea 1 and 2, originally addressed also to Israel, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, we together are a people, a nation. We've been invited through Jesus to be the holy people of God, the chosen people, a precious people in God's eyes. In other words, Christianity is a team sport. It's a team sport. You can't be a Christian all by yourself any more than you can be a football player all by yourself. A tennis player maybe, but not a football player. Football is not that kind of sport. It's a team sport. So is Christianity. God is the coach, the builder. God's putting together the team. He's building the house. And to all those who follow Jesus, God says, Come, I choose you to be a part of what I'm building, to be a part of the team. I pick you for the team. I choose you. He's perfect. She's perfect. Come, join my team. Come, join the building which is being built up and will last forever. What a high calling. What an awesome purpose for our lives. A little later, we'll see the specific role we, we play in this grand calling as priests. But before that, let's second notice the, the second great thing about being a priest, the incredible job security. Our high calling, our incredible 
purpose is not going to get downsized. Because God's building project isn't going to stall for lack of funding. God's not going to have to lay off a bunch of his workers. No, God is restoring and redeeming all creation into a place that God himself can dwell. Right now, it's beginning with the community of people who follow Jesus. God's building us together into a building where God can live by his spirit. And because we serve God and because we work in this house, in his house, we have incredible job security. The other builders, the human builders may reject Jesus. They may reject us. But what they're building isn't going to last. I mean, just think of the empires which have risen and fallen through the course of history. Verse 8 says, that's what they're destined for. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. Like the Tower of Babel, what they build will one day be abandoned and scattered. But God's building, God's spiritual house, is going to grow and grow until it's overall forever and ever. Working for that being employed in that house, that's job security. So where do you put your energy? And don't say, yeah, but it's a volunteer position. We don't get paid for it. I mean, come on. Because Jesus promised he would take care of us, right? He promised in Matthew 5, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. That's job security. Have you ever had the joy of experiencing this? Uh, Of doing what you knew God was calling you to do and seeing God provide for you in unexpected ways? When um, I was in seminary, I remember I was working part-time on campus and Anne was working part-time because Josiah was a baby. And and we were barely making ends meet. And periodically when we were short, we'd pray to God about what we need. We'd say, hey, you told us to pray for our daily bread. You promised that all these other things would be added to us if we seeked you, sought you first. That's what we're trying to do. And then we'd get checks in the mail. One time, some back pay that Ann, from Ann's previous job that she didn't know she was even entitled to. Another time, a repayment of some taxes. She, we didn't realize we'd overpaid. I guess I'd done the taxes wrong in Canada that first year. And so the Canadians are so nice, they just sent us a check back. <laughs> Um, another time, a surprise bonus from man's employer. God knew what we needed and God took care of us. And, and so those are two reasons that it's awesome that we all get to be priests. First, it gives us a higher calling, a higher purpose. And second, it gives us total job security. And then third, it gives us incredible access. Peter switches the analogy, analogy in verse 5. Because first he says, we're living stones being built into a temple. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're priests serving in that temple too. And and this is an easy jump because every temple has priests, right? And and Peter says, we're all priests, not just the clergy, but all of us. And, And one of the great things about being priests is that priests are granted incredible personal access. Back when I lived in Washington, D.C., I worked for a congressman, Tony Hall. I, um, I didn't work in his congressional office, but I worked over in a nonprofit that he'd founded. You see, there were a bunch of us who worked for Tony, as we called him. And uh, there were those who worked for his nonprofit, like me. Then there were those who worked in the Washington, D.C. office. And, and then there were those who worked back in his Ohio district uh, office in the district that he represented. And we all worked for Tony, 
But some of us had way more access and more influence than others. Because some of us had way more, um, or rather we, we, we had more status and influence than others because some of us had more access to Tony than others did. Because when you work for an important and powerful person, access is how you measure your status and your influence. Access to that person. Tony's chief of staff, Deborah, she had access. More than the low-level staffers who answered his mail. And most of those in the Washington, D.C. office had more access than we did over on the nonprofit side. Except for our, for our executive director of the nonprofit who knew Tony personally and had his personal cell phone number. He had access. But the rest of us, low-level staffers, we saw Tony maybe a couple times a year. We didn't have very much access. And so here's the thing about a priest. A priest has access. Think of the Old Testament. Not just anyone could enter God's presence or get an audience with the Holy King. No way. You entered at the risk of your life. Only a few special people had access, and they were the priests. And the priests had to be holy to enter in because it was a huge privilege they dare not take for granted. They had to be pure. They had to be presentable. That was what a holy God expected in order to have access that's why Peter calls us a holy priesthood. And that's why Peter urges us up in verse 1, if you look at the beginning of this chapter, to rid ourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then down in verse 11, to abstain from sinful desires. We've got to be holy. We rely on Jesus to make us holy, but then we try to live up to that. We try to live holy lives because we're priests. And priests have, have access to God himself. And not just the clergy, not just the pastors, not just the elders, but we all, all of us, have access. And because having access is so awesome, we, we have a higher motivation for what we do. Because how does Peter say we should think about our job as priests? Well, verse 5, he, he says, we should think of it as offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's our job as priests. That's how we live out our high calling. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Back in the Old Testament, there was a special class of priests offering up physical sacrifices, actual animals, actual drink offerings and grain offerings. But now we're all priests and we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now what in the world does that mean exactly? Well, a number of places in the New Testament, Scripture talks about us offering up spiritual sacrifices. And so we see what it means. Because each time, what we find is, interestingly, it's just another way of talking about an aspect of following Jesus. Spiritual sacrifices. Philippians 4.18, for example. Paul talks about giving money to God, and he describes it as offering a sacrifice to God. In Romans 15, 16, he talks about participating in God's mission, and he describes that as offering a sacrifice. In Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, he talks about our, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about our praises and our good deeds and our generous sharing what we have with one another, and he calls that a sacrifice. And in Romans 12 and 1, or 12 verse 1, you put it all together, it's offering our bodies, our whole lives that's offering a spiritual sacrifice. But why compare all these 
things, these activities to offering up sacrifices. I mean, why not just say, follow Jesus, obey him, do these things? Why describe them as a priestly task, as offering up sacrifices to God? Why? Because offering a sacrifice involves a whole different motivation and a whole different privilege. Because being a priest is an amazing honor. It means we have access. We aren't just doing our duty, working for the man, you know, some nameless superior up there. No, when, when what we do for God is offered personally, right to God, in God's presence, this changes our motivation. What we do when, when we give money, or, or when we do what's good and right, or when we participate and support God's mission, or uh, whatever else we do for God. When, when we do it, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're, we're not doing it for anyone else. But first and foremost, we're doing it for the God that we know and we have access to. We're offering it up as a sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. Being a priest means we don't do these things so that we can feel better about ourselves or so that we can feel superior to the next guy, or we we don't do them to show off how spiritual we are. We don't do them because we've been guilted into doing them and we feel we have to. We, We don't do them because nobody else will do them and we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility and so we do it even though secretly we resent doing it. No, we're priests. We have access. We do these things. We offer these sacrifices as an offering to God himself acceptable and pleasing. We offer them to God to please God. We offer them to God to cause God to be honored, to bring glory to God. We do them because God is worthy of them, worthy of our lives, worthy of our sacrifices. We do them for God. It's kind of like the difference between paying your taxes and buying an engagement ring for your true love. Both cost you money, right? But you have no particular joy in paying your taxes in many cases. You you just do it because you have to, probably. You, You don't really necessarily think about where it's going or even believe in all that it's going for. How different that is from buying that ring, right? The the anticipation of asking her. The love, as you think about your future together and what that ring means, it's, it's a totally different experience, right? Because with your true love, you have access. And because you have access, it's personal. And, and that's what it means to be a priest. And that's why everything we do for God, we, we're, in, we're uh, invited to do it as offering up a sacrifice. After all, we've got an amazing calling and purpose. We've got job security. We're part of an amazing building project, building on the cornerstone of Jesus, built on on self-giving love, and one day, what we're building will prevail over all. And so we give ourselves to it. And so let me just end with a few words from the book of Revelation. Listen first to chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, where those in heaven sing to Christ, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God 
persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then Revelation 21, listen to this house we're giving ourselves to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's what the building looks like when it gets done. That's our calling. That's our purpose, to to work toward that, to live for that. That's why it's great being a priest. That's why we offer spiritual sacrifices to God so that that may take place. And so we can be thankful to Martin Luther for showing us that we all get to have a role in this incredible purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you, though we live in tumultuous times where... There are many speaking about all the things that we have to fear. Thank you that ultimately your building project goes on. That one day you will bring peace and goodness, rightness and justice, beauty, restoration, newness to your whole creation. Thank you that you invite us to be a part of that transformation now, to first receive it for ourselves and then to share it with others, to work for it. And God, thank you so much that it's not just the pastor or the priest who gets to do that. Thank you that we all get to be a part of that. What a gift. Amen.